So, so last night, oh, actually yesterday I was, when I was praying and saying, Lord, um, what do we share on, like we've had all these foundations, teachings, we've had, um, Rick came last week and he shared about getting out of the boat, about pushing on, about uh, stepping out, just about walking in what the Lord has called you to. And then this morning words came about come boldly before the, train, uh, the throne of grace. It spoke about soft hearts. It spoke about being participants, not spectators. So all these prophetic words that came. There was words that came about uh, you're in need right now. You're struggling right now and you're calling out to God. It's the time to call out to God. And all of those things that came, we need God's grace. And actually, yesterday I felt um, to share on grace because, you know, if we're going to step out onto the boat, if we out of the boat, if we're going to walk in what the Lord has called us to, we need God's grace. But the thing is, what is God's grace? Like, I think it's one of the most, it's a key thing that every single one of us as believers need to have and know and understand, but it can often get confused. So if I ask what, if I ask some of you guys now, what is grace? What, what, did, what did you say? I'm listening. Joey? God's riches at Christ's expense. Good, I like it, I like it, I like it. Anyone else? It's a good one. Anton, since you shouted out earlier. So if you try to encompass what, what is grace, one is unmerited favor, the undeserved favor of God, and, the other, and another aspect of it would be God's power that He gives us to walk in what He called us to. He gives us the desire, the abilities, the gifts, that's why it's called grace gifts, to walk in what He called us to. We can't do this outside of God. We can't do this outside of God's grace. And, and we can't earn it. No, the word says that it is by grace we have been saved. We can't earn it. There's nothing we can do. I heard a few years ago a story about, um, that helped me to understand grace, that we can't earn it, this thing that we can't earn. And there was a story about this, this father. He shares a story of how he adopted this girl into his family. So she was adopted by another family. And every time they went on holiday or went to Disney World, they left her at home because she was the adopted one and she was naughty and she was... So eventually, some, whatever happened, they dissolved the adoption and this new family adopted her at eight years old. And one of her desires was to go to Disney World. And when the parents found out, the father found out about this, he said, the next time we go on holiday, we're going to Disney World. And the moment he told him and he told her this, everything she did was wrong. Like she was, no, she was lying, she was uh, hurtful to her sisters, she was, like everything that she could do to be wrong, she was doing. And then, closer to the time, he, was, he spoke to her and said, like, you can't keep on doing these things. And then her question was, are you not going to take me with to Disney World? 
So we said, well, we're going as a family to Disney World, and we're family. But there is consequences to what you're doing. So anyway, they go, they go to Disney World, and it just got worse from this conversation. She just got worse and worse in this, going to Disney World. She was terrible. Then she spent the day in Disney World with the family, and when she came back, that night, the first day, the few days, first day, at the hotel room, her father speaking to her and saying, oh, how was your first day? And she, told, she was crying, and she told him that, thank you for taking me. Because you took me not because I was good, but because I'm yours. And then for every one of us to get an understanding of grace is nothing we did. There's no goodness that we have to act out. The grace we receive is because we are His. Because we said, Lord, we surrender to you. Father, you're ours. And we are yours. There's nothing we did. We didn't earn it. We didn't come out of a place where we have to work and work and work. He gave it to us as a free gift. But there is, when you get this thing of free gift, there is in the church right now, there's this thing of false grace or hypergrace. There's this thing of love how you want to love, do what you want to do. Love in your old ways. And you see grace, when we start sharing on grace now, it's actually to help us, to empower us, to walk in what the Lord has called us to. But what it's become now, hypergrace is this thing of you don't actually need to change need to be sanctified. You don't actually need to surrender to the king. You can live in your own nature. You can continue walking in death because grace covers. Because where, where there is a lot of sin, grace abounds. But that's actually for when you come to the Lord. That's actually for that shame doesn't keep you from him. That's like, no matter what you've done, there is a grace for you to enter in. It's not a grace to just keep on living as you want to. John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, said that when he got saved, and he was uh, involved in the slave trade until he got saved, and he said, so he understood master slave, and he said when he got saved, he didn't find freedom with no master. He found freedom in a new master. And there is a change that there is a new master in our lives when we get saved. It's not we're just free to do what we want. No, there's a freedom in God. So I'm going to quickly share a few things because before I actually share what I want to share, we need to understand what grace is. And there's, there's three aspects of grace that, that is throughout the Bible we'll see there's saving grace. There's a grace that saves. And if you save here today, there's nothing you did. It was grace that saved you. It was grace that opened up your heart. It was grace. It was God reaching you. Because God saves. So there's a saving grace. And in um, Ephesians 2, 8 to 9, it says, For it, we, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. See, it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone that we are saved. And we need to get that. There is nothing we can do to earn it. God saved us. And then there's sustaining grace. There's this grace that sustains us in our struggles, in our battles. In 2 Corinthians 12, 8 to 10, shame the nail, I'll tell you when you need to put scriptures up because I didn't give you anything. 
In 2 Corinthians 12, 8 to 10, it says, Three times I pleaded, this is Paul, with the Lord to take it away from me. The thorn in his side. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. There was a word that came, I think the last word that says that God is invitation for those that are struggling right now. Those that feel God is far away. So, if you're sitting here this morning and, and you're struggling in certain areas, you're feeling far from God, your health is struggling, your relationships are struggling, your marriage is struggling, your finances are struggling, your work situation is struggling. There's, it's hard. You're going through trials and testing. Let me say there's the sustaining grace of God that's there for you. No, it was, we never run out of grace. You might be feeling right now, I'm out of grace. I've had enough. I've run out of grace for this person, for the work, for the situation. But you know, that is not, that is a Christian knee saying that we're out of grace. That is not the word of God. The word of God says His grace is sufficient. You know, it's actually when we are at a place where we say, I'm out of grace. I'm, if you're sitting here today and you're feeling like, I'm out of grace, that is where God's grace begins. You know, when we're out of grace, when we, our strength is empty, when we are weak, that is when we'll find the sustaining grace of God. That's when He comes in and says, I'm here. I'll work in you. Because then we depend on Him. There's nothing we can do. So that word that came, I want, if you are in a test, in a trial, I want to say that is grace for you. Not man-made grace, but the grace of God that will never run out. And the last one is sanctifying grace. So 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul again. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. See, the, Paul said, I am what I am because of what grace has done in me. Whatever I've done, whatever I've worked in has been the grace of God operating in me. But he did say it had an effect. The grace of God had received had an effect on him. See, the sanctifying grace, grace that sanctifies us, is the grace that will work in us first. Grace works in us first. God works in us first and then through us. But whatever we are as believers, if our hearts are open, if we're saying, Lord, come and work in me, whatever we are, whatever we do, is by the grace of God. Because that's the way it should be. So there's a sanctifying grace that works in us and then through us. And I'll say that when I say it works through us, there must be something as believers that we receive grace and then we give grace. Grace, uh, grace abounds in us and then through us. To those amongst us here and those out there. We need to be a people full of grace. We need to have a good report out there. Because we have received such a great grace. 
We need to be a gracious people at Porto. You know that story, that parable of the master that forgave the servant's debt? Big debt. And then when the other servant owed that same servant small debt, he wouldn't forgive him. And then he was cast out. He was wicked. And I say that whatever we receive from God, we receive forgiveness and grace, this is what we pour out. Because there's a principle in the kingdom that what we receive from when we model, we pour out. And I say even this morning, that as we're talking about grace, there's a call to walk in grace, to pour out grace. And I share the story of Mephibosheth. So, Danae, if you can go to 2 Samuels 9, 1, whatever you can fit on the screen. We'll end at 11. So the context of the story is that David is king. And the reason I'm sharing the story is that it gives a, a view of how grace works, how grace looks. So David is king and he's successful. You know, you tested in two times in your life. When you're in the valleys, how do you respond in the struggle? Do you look to God or your situation? And when you're in the mountaintops where everything's going amazingly, do you become strong in yourself or you slumble? So David is king and everything's going amazingly. His enemies are subdued. The kingdom is advancing. They're growing rich. They're growing in power. And David says this. Verse 1. David asks, Is there anyone still left on the, of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? So firstly, he's saying for Jonathan's sake, who can he show kindness? Because he was in covenant with Jonathan. Right? He had a friendship and a peace covenant with Jonathan that for them and their descendants will never be at war. And there will be peace amongst them and there will be friendship amongst them. And in verse 3 he says, the king asks, and he's asking the servant of Saul, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness? Sorry, he says, for whom I can show God's kindness. So why does he want to show kindness? He want to imitate what God has done in him. The kindness that he has received, he wants to give out. And grace reaches out to the lost. Because David has everything he needs. He doesn't need anything from any descendant of Saul or Jonathan. He doesn't need anything, but he wants to bless. He wants to be kind. And that is how God was to us. He didn't, God didn't need us. Although often we'll hear how God needed us. God didn't need us. It was his kindness. It was his grace. It was his love towards us. It was his pleasure. In the same way, David didn't need you as on top of the world. But yet, he was looking to who can he show grace to? Who can he show kindness to? Romans 3, 10 to 11 says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is not, no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. And I just want to say that at this point, the person that David was going to show grace to wasn't looking 
for grace. He wasn't looking for kindness. Grace found us. If you save this morning, grace found you. God found you. You know, often say, we're looking for Jesus. No, you're not. Jesus found you. Even the fact that there's anything in you that want to find you, Lord, is the grace of God to you. Nukarian Ziba answered to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan, he is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Makir, son of Emil, in Lodabar. So he's in, a, he's in another area. Lodabar means no pasture. Right, there's no life there, nothing's growing there. So, Mephibosheth is Jonathan's son. He's, he's in a place where he's broken. He thinks he's of no use. He's in a land, you're in an area where there's no life. He's hopeless. And this is where he's found. And every single one of us, when we got saved, we were found in this place. We were found in a place where we were broken. Where there was no life. In other words, says we were dead in our transgressions. So some of us here might be sitting here and saying, but when I got saved, I was doing okay. When I got saved, my life was okay. Jesus just added something to it. Now the word says that every single one of us were dead in our transgressions. You know, we jump past that first part and we speak about the blessing. But let's just pause there. You were dead. And can we pause there? Salah. Can we, can we ponder on that? Because unless we get that thing, we're not going to understand grace. If we think that we're okay and God added something to us, you won't understand grace. You need to understand that you were broken, you were dead, you were in a place with no life. You had no hope. You might have had hope in things, but you had no hope in the right places. You had no eternity. Well, you had an eternity, but it wasn't a pretty one. So that is where he's found. And grace will find you where you are. Every single one of us will be saved. Wherever you are, grace found you. As far as you thought you were from God, His grace found you. His kindness and His mercy found you and called you. Grace means you do not have to be afraid of God's wrath. Carry on. Can you, say, can you imagine? So King David sends his men, his soldiers, to go and get Mephibosheth in Lodabar. So imagine the king's men knocking on the door. What's going through his mind? I wonder why they want you. Because back in the day, when a new king took over, they, they wiped out the family of the previous king. So that destiny would die, that dynasty would die. That there'd be no rebellion, there'd be no comeback. There'd be no root left that could find life. So at this point, Mephibosheth is the enemy of David. He's an enemy that should be killed, actually. So the king's men is at the door. How many people think he was afraid when he heard that knock and he saw the king's men? What do they want? That's your David's response when he comes into the king's presence. Verse 7, Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. 
See, God's grace will, will show us kindness when we least expect it. Now, every one of us here that is saved, now we were enemies of God. We deserve wrath. And before you were saved, you might have think there's no God, you die, nothing happens. You might have thought there is a God, but whoa, I'm messing up. There might have been a fear in you of this thing is leading me to destruction, but now to save myself. It is the kindness of God that He comes and shows you that you do not have to be afraid. When you receive Him, when you receive His grace, fear goes. There might be fear in certain things that He works on, but fear of God. And I'm not talking about reverence and a healthy fear. I'm talking about the unhealthy fear of uncertainty of, Lord, where am I going? There's a safety that comes. Grace means that you do not have to be ashamed for your weaknesses. So David says, I will restore you and all the land that belong to you from your grandfather's soul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bows down and says, what is, your, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? So this is his response. So David says, you can eat at my table, I'm going to restore you. And he doesn't understand it. Like there's an invitation by God to us. I know, before I got saved, I know there were invitations to eat at his table. And I never took it because I couldn't see it. Because sometimes how we see ourselves, he saw himself as a, as a dog, the lowest of lows. He had no use. He was crippled. He had no purpose. He had no worth. Can I say it's God's grace? I'm just going to read on. So I think it's important that we know that we don't look at how we see ourselves, but how God sees us. Because David saw him differently. David saw value. He goes on to say, Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given you your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. And your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops, so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth's grandson of your master will always eat at my table. So he was restored. But not only was he restored, he was restored to David's table. Not only was he, was he given what he, his grandfather had, but he was called into the house. He was called from an enemy into sonship. And that's what happened to us. He was an enemy of David. He became a son of David. He wasn't that... Uh, the covenant that uh, David had with his father, Jonathan, it wasn't, I'm going to make him a son to me. It was, I will look after him, there will be peace. So he could have sent food parcels. He could have sent servants to go and look after him. There's many ways he could have fulfilled that covenant, but he drew him in. He said, come and eat at my table with my sons. He was drawn into sonship. And you know, identity is a key thing for each and every one of us here. Do you know that psychologically, psychology says that how we see our identity is built up in how others see us. Do you know that? 
that people, what people say, your friends say, your enemies say, will define you. This is how the world thinks. And with social media, and Dan shared about connectivity, it's, it's like that thing's just lit on fire. Like all the comments, anything you see, WhatsApp groups, where people are arguing, where people are saying things, what people say about you will shape you and mold you, and that is the way the world works. But grace says God sees you differently. When you start receiving God's grace, you will start seeing how He sees you, and those things will be broken. I remember there was a, uh, a lady I, uh, that was very close to me that I led to the Lord many years ago. And when I started she, uh, witnessing to her, she was like, she's not ready. She's still smoking, and she got a lot of stuff to deal with. But as I was speaking to her, and as the word came, and as I could actually see as grace came to her, as tears came, it was like grace removed the shame. And she gave her heart to the Lord. And she gave her heart to the Lord not because of anything other than the grace of God came. The grace of God will break down shame. It will tear down shame. It will remove shame. And remember that as she gave her heart, within the next few days, weeks, she gave up smoking. She started going to people and making right there was a grace active in her. There was working in her that called her to live this new life. But can I say that we can't fix, our, fix ourselves. We come broken to Him. We come full of shame. God's not surprised. You don't have to say, I need to remove stuff first. God's not surprised. His grace is there to remove shame. But He removes it. We can't. God's grace gives unending security. So later on in 2 Samuel, we won't go there, 2 Samuel 21, 1 to 7, the nation of Israel is in a drought, in a, sorry, in a famine, and they're in a famine for three years. Then David seeks the Lord and says, what's going on? And the reason they're in a famine is because of an unjust war with the Gibeonites. And people, the Gibeonites were killed, and there was blood, and, but Saul was wrong. So they, they need to make restitution. So David goes to the Gibeonites, what do I need to do? And they said they want seven sons, seven descendants of Saul to make it. And David agrees to it. So he gives the seven descendants to the Gibeonites to be killed, but not Mephibosheth, because he was David's, because he was secured by him. Can we say that all of us here that is saved this morning, we are God's. We are, there's security in that. You know, all the shaking that's been happening with COVID, and now there's a shaking because there's a worldwide recession. The fuel prices are going up. Everything's expensive. People struggling to make it. Can I say that every, as everything is shaking and people is shaking, there's a security in God's grace, because we are His. Grace shows you that you are adopted, that you are a son and a daughter. Of his. Verse 11 says, So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. From an enemy to a son. Now can you imagine the, the talk, the scannering in the king's courts? What is this brother doing here? 
Like he's an enemy. What's he doing here? What's he doing in the courts? Even more than what's he doing in the courts, what's he doing at the king's table? What's he doing with the king's sons are? He's closer than us. And that is God's grace. Do you remember when you were first saved and you, had to go, and you went to church for the first time? I remember um, going to a church called Kingsgate and there's actually some people, Patricia, uh, John and Michelle, they were in that church. And I remember going to that church and I, I wasn't saved. I went there for like a month or two. Tana says two, I say one. And I went there for a while. And every time I went there, there was a thing of, what am I doing here? Like, I shouldn't be here. This is, this is the holy people. This is the righteous people. But one thing I didn't realize is that everyone in that church was also broken. They also were broken ones. They also need, were full of shame ones. And God needed to come by His grace. So, can I say, even for us, this morning, as new people come in, whether they save or not save, whether they're struggling with the things of life, whether they're not doing things God's way, where grace still needs to go abound in them and to them, can I say that we are the ones that show grace? And we don't show it because the Bible says so. We show grace to others because once we were them. Once we were broken and not sure what are we doing here, who are these people? And kindness and grace was poured out to us, and we were drawn into family. That needs to be our response. That's God's response to us. We can't have people come in here, and our thing is, that's not, that's not righteous. That's not holy. That's not what the Bible says. No, no, we need the people that pour out grace. This is, yeah, fine, you're not walking in what you should. You don't know what you don't know. But we're going to draw you into family. We're going to pour out grace so you can see something of God. And I'm landing soon. So what's the response to grace? So I'll show you Mephibosheth's response. So later on what happened, the kingdom doesn't do so well, the kingdom of Israel. There's a few issues in David's family which I won't go into. And his son Absalom... Um, Kaina becomes a leader of the nation. And David goes on the run. So when David goes on the run, Ziba, which is a Saul servant that he gave to Mephibosheth, goes with Saul, um, goes with David. And David asks him, where is Mephibosheth? And he says, no, he didn't want to come. He supports, he supports Absalom. Do you see what he said? So what happens later on is a long period of battles and whatever, but eventually Absalom is killed. And David comes back to Jerusalem in triumph. And when David returns victorious in 2 Samuel 19, 26, he says, My lord the king, and this is David asking Mephibosheth, where were you? Like, where were you? Like, you stayed behind, you stayed with, and this is his response. My lord the king, since your servant is lame, I said, I will have my donkey saddled and will ride onto it so that I can come and go with the king. But Ziba, my servant, betrayed me and he slandered me, my servant, to you, to you, the Lord, my king. The Lord, the king, is an angel of God, so do whatever you wish. So he's saying that 
Ziba betrayed him. He left him behind. He lied to the king. He didn't want to stay. He wanted to go. But then he says to David, do whatever you want to do. And then he says, all my grandfather's descendants deserve nothing but death from my lord, the king. But you gave your servant a place among those who eat at your table. So what right do I have to make any more appeals? So I think there's nothing more I can ask of you. So if you save here this morning, let me say you received, there's nothing greater you can receive. There's no more requests you need to make to him. If by his pleasure, by his grace, he gives you more, he blesses you in different areas, praise God. But if he doesn't, praise God, because you received an eternity. And this is his, his heart. He's like, I can't ask you for more. You don't have to believe me. Would, you, you've already given me so much when I deserved nothing, when I was your enemy, when I should have been put to death. You called me to your table. And then he, David pretty much says, okay, I, did, I don't know. He wasn't as wise as his son would be. So he says, we're going to go 50-50. Siba, you can keep 50%. Mephibosheth, you can keep 50%. And here's Mephibosheth's response in verse 30. And he said to the king, let him take everything now that my lord, the king, has returned home safely. So that is a response to grace that we've received. You know, when his arguments about who gets what, I don't care about the stuff, Lord. If it's going to take your presence from me, I don't want a part of it. I want you. The king is back. When there's a, a thing of, this person slandered me, this person lied to me, there's an issue amongst brother and sister who out of, that thing's taking the Lord's presence from you. Your, his response was, I don't need justice. I'm just focused on the king is back. And so that is what grace will do to us. So we will see something different. The, the fight in us for our stuff, for our ways, for justice, for even if we write. And I think he was right there. The Bible isn't clear, but I, think he's, I don't think he was lying. Even if we write, even if we justified, even if we were wronged, There'll be times it's better to lay it down so that we can keep the presence of the king. And that is what grace will do. If you walk in grace, if you receive grace, there'll be something of, Lord, I want you and nothing else. There's other things that's lost its shine. I found a treasure greater than anything I currently have. The fight in for me and my stuff in my way has died. I've laid down my life so that I can live for you. That is the response to grace. And I'm landed, and that's pretty much where I'm landing, but I'll, I'll say one more thing. In other words, is that forever and ever, for eternity, we will be trophies of his kindness and grace. We will be put on display. Now, if an angel... Um, comes to God one day in eternity, uh, in eternity and says, uh, show us your power and majesty of shame creation. So look at all the stuff I've created, universe. Show us your holiness and show him his law. A law none of us could attain by ourselves. None of us could live up to it. It was a high standard. Show us your love. You point to the cross. 
For God so loved the world. Show us your faithfulness, he'll point to Israel. A stiff-necked people that it seems like when you read the, the Old Testament that every opportunity they turn from him. At every opportunity they were faithless while he was faithful. Death is the faithfulness of our God. But when they say, show me your grace, he's going to point to me and you. And he's not going to point to me and you because if it's anything that we've done, it's because of what God's done. It's because of the grace that he's poured out. There's nothing we've done. What did Paul say? I am what I am because of the grace of God. I worked the hardest. I did the most grace. I had its full effect in me. But not I, but grace has done its work. Can I say that when you're on display, there's for God's glory. It's not to show how, mighty, how great we are. Look what grace did in us. It's to show, look what we were and look what God's grace can do.